This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. And in case you're wondering, Kevin De Bruyne is still good at football. First appearance since August and he strolls onto the pitch and plays two perfect passes. One into the net and one to Oscar Bob who made it all look ridiculously easy in injury time. And perhaps this is, quote, where the title was won. Elsewhere, Spurs come back from behind twice to get a point at Old Trafford. A lot of the ball, but not quite enough end product. While United showed a bit of something, at least, and could have snatched it late on. Chelsea get their third win in a row. There's some VAR controversy for Vincent Company to stew over, while Villa can only draw Everton. There's some more FFP worries for Everton and Forest fan protests at Reading. Troy Deeney not exactly putting his arm around the shoulder match-specific NFTs and eating straight from the Salt Bay Knife. All that plus your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Mark says, good to see producer Joel giving the youngsters a fair run in the team. I mean, if this is the youngest squad we can put out, we're in real trouble, aren't we? <laughs> Nader Manuha, welcome. Hello, sir. Nuruddin Chowdhury, hello. Hello. And Paul McInnes, hi. Hiya. Um, Owen says, can anyone think of a more, and that's what they've been missing, goal and assist than Kevin De Bruyne is on Saturday? Um, Paul says, I was hoping Kevin De Bruyne's hair would be the opposite to Samson's, but unfortunately not. Um, every every goal in this game was brilliant. On match of the day, I think it was Micah Richards, Glenn Murray and Gary Lineker all voted for Bernardo Silva's as the best. But Nadam, I think De Bruyne's is the best. Mm. And I will tell you why I think this, because I think almost no footballers would even consider doing what De Bruyne did and placing the ball where he placed it mm. and just passing it in from there. Whereas I think a lot of players would have attempted the Bernardo. I think I've attempted a Bernardo Silva one. And like with a bit of luck, you can connect. But the Kevin De Bruyne one, I, I don't think if you're in that position, Nadam, that you would even think about. No, if I, if I was in that position, you see how the away fans are really high up, like at the highest yeah. possible point in Newcastle. <laughs> I think I'd try and kick the ball up there to waste some time. You know, there's no way I'm doing that, what De Bruyne did. And I'm with you. I think the Bernardo Silva one is obviously a great finish. The other two, great and whatever. But even in an interview where De, when De Bruyne's talking about the goal, he's talking about how he's reading the defender. The defender's trying to make himself big. And the reason he's trying to do that means I'm going to try and go through his legs. When I go through his legs, I'm not going to do it with like my laces. I'm going to use the side of my foot because it needs to be precision. These are a whole load of things I've never thought about before in the however many years I've kicked a ball towards a goal. So that's easily the best one for me. And the other ones are nice goals, but the De Bruyne one feels a lot more unique. So I'm with you, Mr. Hostman. Thanks. Thanks very much. Um, what a terrible superhero Mr. Hostman would be. Um, Noz, <laughs> Noz, and then the next question is, which pass is better? The pass from De Bruyne that, that he scores with or the one to Oscar Bob, which feels... It feels like it's so inch perfect. Like we say inch perfect a lot, but if that's over hit, it goes out of play. If it's slightly less on it, then Trippier gets it. Oh, completely. I think I think you're completely right. I think I think that Oscar Bob pass um, was amazing. It's it's it, and it's a pass that that is is tried so often in 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 football, and especially that time of the game where you kind of want to just get it over that last defender um, diagonally and. Uh, it needed to be perfect, and it was. And again, like the thing about De Bruyne is, is uh, everything just looks dead effortless and and aesthetically beautiful. So it's how casual it looks. I think that's again with his finish. It's always annoying when your goal, when your team concedes a goal, where it just rolls. It feels like a pass. Um, and uh, and yeah, and 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 again, 
the the pass for Oscar Bob. It's the it's the time of the game and and just the composure to do it. Then it was it was uh, annoyingly good. And and the other thing about De Bruyne and Paul is it is effortless, but also he doesn't really look like a footballer at, at the same time. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, well, I th- the the haircut does contribute to that, doesn't it? I mean, it makes him look like yeah. And the way he dresses outside of outside of playing, he looks like somebody's working in the creative industries, perhaps designing a, a set drop backdrop for a new West End musical or something. But like, you know, he, I, I actually thought watching him play on Saturday, I thought he looked he looked like sorry to apply my amateur football experience to this, but he looked like somebody who'd been away from injury and was just coming back for a game. He would look desperate to play. And, you know, the way after the first goal as well, and he was kind of drumming everybody up. Um, you know, I think he's clearly missed missed that time. It's a long time to be out to be out of the team, particularly you know when you went out of the Champions League final as well. I'm sure there's sort of a feeling that he's got unfinished business. So it was very good. But I just want to say, um, Oscar Bob's touch was just as good as that pass. Uh, I mean, if you're putting yeah. that if you're putting that on an inch to take that and then to have the the you know that's Nedham's running through the things that have to go through your head. To have the wherewithal to think, now I need to do something to beat the keeper. Then to be able to pull that off with those tiny little touches and pass it in. Great goal, fantastic goal. Um, the best one for me. Yeah, and and I suppose actually sort of within the, um, um, I know you have your city bias, Nathan, but within the sort of me, it's not it's not romantic. Man City winning everything, right? Like they win everything, it's fine. But within that, the story of this guy, this twenty year old, scoring his first goal. And to be yeah, and to be so good, like it takes three touches, which is so brilliant. Like what, just what a moment for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, this I think this was his seventh Premier League appearance as well, so he is basically brand new within this. Even though he's you know he's played for Norway and stuff, and he scored for them, I think in the last international break. This is one of City's academy players getting a chance to play in the first team, getting a chance to play at St James's Park. I think he maybe played there in the League Cup, but to face it in the league for the first time. To face a Newcastle side who, for as much as they've had their up and down ups and downs, they've been very good at St James's Park, and you're coming on to try and make a difference, and to score the winner like in that place, I'm sure it's a goal, obviously because it's his first to remember for a very very long time. But what a goal as well to be able to capitalise on the ball from De Bruyne to make the run knowing the ball could arrive, and you're beating Kieran Trippier, who's been one of England's best right backs over the last 10, 15 years, or how long it's been. So. Credit to him. Obviously, not everyone loves the story as such, but to see young people getting a chance in the Premier League and scoring goals like that, it does inspire that next lot. And I'm sure City's Academy will be absolutely delighted with that. Yeah, I just wanted to say something because I thought in a key passage of this game, City struggled. You know, when they went 2-1 down until De Bruyne came on, I think they looked a little bit lost. And I think the way that Newcastle kind of was shrinking the pitch was causing them problems. And I just think it's just interesting that when you've got Oscar Bob coming through at the very beginning of career, playing with no fear, executing perfectly. Kevin De Bruyne coming towards the end of his career, coming off the bench, making a difference, executing perfectly. Then in the middle of the game, you've got Foden and Alvarez who are just coming in, you know, the the younger years of their sort of prime years. And they were the guys who I kind of think the City were looking to decide that match for them to make the difference. And they couldn't quite do it in that middle period of the game. And I thought that was something that was interesting about it. Uh, and I think it will be interesting to see now players are coming back from injury who gets in that first eleven now. Eddie Howe's lost four in a row now. Um, I mean, it did feel like the team were playing for him in this game. Um, and we sort of speculated on how much pressure he's under or whether he's sort of getting, you know, he's sort of getting off scot-free at the moment. What do you think? 
Well, it's an interesting one because because you have these situations sometimes where the um, sort of critical mass of people who are sort of starting to question the manager or question his future um, come from outside the fan base. Um, and you almost get a situation where non-Newcastle fans are, are perplexed and almost annoyed that Newcastle fans aren't turning on him. Um, I think uh, most Newcastle fans, or vast majority of Newcastle fans, um, realise the job he's done, and it's and it, again, it's that thing of, of um, momentum or, or the order of of your success. So, if he'd had this season last season and last season this season, it would have showed progression. Yeah. But it's that thing of of almost being too successful in, in, in um, last season. So, if, if, if essentially, like if they'd missed out on Champions League football in in a funny way, that would have made him more secure this season. But it's it's one of those it's one of those performances, one of those games where that should give them confidence and it might help them kick on just because it felt like there was a bit of a change. And and, and again, like I know all teams have got loads of injuries at the moment, but uh, Newcastle have got loads and and they played really, really well. And uh, there was like one or two players that you just think they're, they're class. So, uh, and, and Isak and um, Bruno uh, obviously being the two standouts. So, I, I mean, they could use it just to kick on now. Just going back to uh, De Bruyne's hair, because I think it's something that we shouldn't skirt over. I think I, th- I think that deserves a lot of credit as well because how often as an adult do you make such a radical change to your hair? Like it it doesn't happen often. It's it's a big thing to do. Yeah. Because you know you know you're gonna get you know you're gonna get ridicule, and and also with, with with the choices made, it's like a strange retro like Hugh Grant. So uh, it's quite daring in a lot of ways, and um, and yeah, what what I'd actually what I'd actually love is do, do you know City have got this thing where they love to claim Manchester and we, even with the kits it's like every kit has got a sort of reference to Manchester oh this is the mosaic kit this is like the Hacienda kit I reckon there's a there's a, there's potential here that that um what happens with, Dro- with De Bruyne's hair is is he goes through the 90s of Manchester haircut so at the moment he's got like maybe a Russell Bears more early 90s maybe the next one is like t- right. Tim Burgess mop and then it's like Liam Gallagher. You could you could bring it. You could bring Mick it. Hucknell. Mick Hucknell. Oh, Mick Hucknell. It's. I mean, it's the right. It's, 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 it's the right shade and everything. Uh, I just think. I, I just think there's opportunities there. Clint Boone. I don't know. Clint Boone. Excuse me. In spiral carpets, mate. He had his. He had his. He had a ah. hair down to hair down about there. Sort of like. Oh, that's good. Hey, doggy style, Bob. I'll get. I'll get yelled at for not knowing the name of the lead singer of In Spiral Carpets. Um, Nadim, uh, back to Newcastle. Did you have any other? Any strong thoughts on on their plight? Well, to be honest, I think a lot of stuff's been mentioned already about how like it's a lot of external people, probably myself included, sort of asking like, is everyone okay with this? But before that game against City, I think they had the third best home record, which makes you feel like, you know, it's going to be 50,000, 60,000 people every other week going to be feeling happy about their team as such. But if that starts to turn and then that marries up with the fact they've got the second worst away record in the Premier League, only worse by Sheffield United on two points and Newcastle on five. Then all of a sudden you've got that sort of travelling fan base that's going everywhere and watching their team get nothing. And I understand the injury part of things, but again, everyone's got injuries. And maybe, maybe my disappointment with them has been at times a style of play as such, because I understand that they don't necessarily have the players that Howe wants to bring on off the bench. But at times I've seen them have 20, 30% possession. And that's for a team that's, you know, was playing Champions League at the start of the season. Doesn't feel quite right to me. But again, it'll be the fans that will speak up because as we know in the Northeast, when they're not happy, they certainly make sure that they're heard. 
to Old Trafford then, Man United 2, Spurs 2. Uh, Nos, was this a brilliant game or not? I thought it was sort of weirdly uninteresting and predictable in that the whole game was just Pedro Porro taking corners as far as I could tell. And Spurs controlled it but weren't incisive enough. And Man United showed a bit but were still not. You didn't really know what they were trying to do. Yeah, I mean, it was it was one of those games where if you're a Spurs fan, you're just thinking like, get it, get it to the line, and, and like get a corner because you've got a really good chance of scoring. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the same old problem with 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 United at the moment in that um, there's no style of play. Um, it's that thing of um, each game is just an objective in itself. Like, let's just get through this game. Let's just find a way to win this game or get a result. And there's no pattern because. I think often we we think of or, or football fans are portrayed as being spoiled and they only want success. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think what football fans uh, feed off is some kind of hope and some kind of um, trajectory. So, so, so if they can see something developing, even if you lose a game, if they can see what's happening and they can see like a style of play that's that's being um, uh, nurtured, then they'll forgive. They'll they'll forgive all sorts. They'll forgive bad results and. And, and and obviously Spurs fans are, 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 are very forgiving of Postecoglou because they can see what he's trying to do at, at United. Um, the concerning thing, the con- the concerning thing over the weekend wasn't the result because it's there's no shame in in, in drawing with the Spurs side, um, and and it was a good result in the circumstances. And United did show a bit of fight. The bigger concern is what is this team? What is it trying to do? Why is it always reactive to the other team? Um, why is it not got the self confidence to play? Um, it, you've got this strange thing where near the beginning, when Ten Hag came in and his his Ajax team played this really attractive, structured style of play, uh, possession based, and he came in and said United will not play that. And the reasoning was that they've not got the same kind of players, and it's a different um, culture. So then, th- then the immediate question becomes: Why don't you create? that structure why don't you every single time you've got a transfer window buy players that will be able to play in that way and instead what he's done is it's all patch up work and the team looks like a patched up team there's there's never any there's never any pattern there's never any signs of hope it's just get through the game and and and, and I think that is that is the biggest concern it's it, it's a team of it's a team of footballers that are clear, clearly good footballers because they do it at international level they've, they've done it at previous teams and now are doing it uh, a little bit um, for teams on 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 loan, but as a team as they are currently at United, they look like bad footballers. They look like they've got bad technique, which which is concerning. I mean, I'd, I'd be interested. Um, what you think, Nedim, as a as, as a as an ex footballer? Like, can you see what United are trying to do and and what the players have been told to do? So. I was speaking with Mark Ogden about this yesterday and he made a good point that United basically are a team that just split into thirds. Like there's the defensive side of things. You've got the midfield who sort of work at times just independently of the other segments. So then you've got the forward line. You don't like see- Like a table thing. football team. They're a football team, yeah. aren't they? They're, they're just <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. in that bit, but there's no link. That's the line, yeah. That's the, that's the name of the pod, yeah. We figured it out. But um, I think whereas you look at a team like Spurs at this moment in time and you think of all the injuries they've had, people are away, international duty and so on. But you kind of see like the play goes here, then it goes there, then it goes there, then it goes there. And even though it might fall that final hurdle, they've got a like a three-layered process to get the ball there. Whereas if United, like Anana has the ball at the back, the centre-backs might split, but then there's not a really obvious split that then happens in midfield, which then leads to attack. 
So they don't really have long periods of like good possession against good sides because there's no real structure behind it in my mind. But they must be they must be working on it. And I think at times, you know, for the Spurs line, for the Villa line, they do try and test it and their forward line will sort of define them as such. But yeah, you can see that I think to put it into perspective, if the Spurs team that went out to play against United yesterday was their last season with their previous manager, we'd look at it and say, wow, that team is so, so bad. They're probably going to really struggle. But instead, they went to Old Trafford and they controlled large parts of the game themselves and will feel disappointed that they didn't get anything from it with the n- amount of players that they've got missing. It's interesting the way you describe the game, Max, because I can see it when you describe it like that. But I was really enjoying watching it. and I, don't, I haven't seen so much of Spurs. But I was just... I was loving the way they were building those triangles, loving the way that people were kind of thinking, well, how's the way I'm going to bend the ball around the man who's close to me so I can complete that triangle? And everybody on the team was willing to do that. And then the the kind of the ingenuity they had sometimes to pick up, find the space to just punch through that midfield with one pass, the number of times that they opened up into that final third. It was just like, yeah, there's some great technical ability here. You're, you're thinking watching that game and you remember that these are second, third string players who never really kind of would have seen the pitch under Conte. So it's like, it, it, it's yeah, yeah. I think he can get, you know, he, he is, he's obviously good at kind of getting stuff out of these players and they want to play for him right now. But I think he's just sold them a message that they can believe in. And I'm not sure what that message is that Ten Hag's given to his squad. Do you think it's harder made him to be brave in a Manchester United shirt because losing is a bigger deal as a Man United player than it is a Spurs player. But but because of that, you lose more. <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a very good question you've asked me there. And to be honest, like I understand the idea of, oh, this is Man United and so on and so forth. But then you'd like to think that they wouldn't necessarily be recruiting people who'd be scared of playing at Old Trafford. You know, you've got some players in the team who've yeah. been there for... For a while, players who are international players who've played at European Championships, World Championships, whichever confederation they're in. And, you know, like even the likes of like Casemiro, he's got more Champions League titles than say most teams have got league titles. But I don't know. I don't really buy into that. Obviously, when you do go there, there's probably more scrutiny from a negative perspective at Man United than any other club in the world, as I see it. Because you look at Reals, Barca and so on, they've had more success recently. So it's not all doom and gloom. But yeah, it seems like some people, they really do struggle. They struggle at times with confidence. But this kind of goes to the question I was asking before. If you had a manager who gave you a style of play, which you believed in, all of a sudden you can do something on the field in unison and look a lot better. Because I see United every week and I see the starting eleven, and I think that they can do better than they end up doing. And at times you see flashes, but then you don't see it over a long period of time. But maybe, as Ten Hag's been trying to say, when people come back in, maybe they'll be great. Maybe, who knows? But that top four being eight points behind it right now, I don't personally see it. But yeah, I don't think the, obviously I can't, it seems so stupid me saying this from a City perspective. But yes, there is scrutiny for players who play for United, but the players are there for a reason and they should be able to do Mm. better. And if they're not doing better, the question is why? Is it down to them or is it down to the environment that they're in? And ultimately you'll never know because no one will say. It's an interesting point that Ten Hag made, you know, when we get all our players back. Because if you think about the players that Tottenham are missing, you think, well, actually, you know, Son is at the Asia Cup, Madison. I mean, we had a question from Simon going, I think if Spurs had a fully fit team, there'd be a good few points clear at the top. Am I a delusional dreamer? And you do wonder, and yet you're probably right, but if Madison had been fit this whole time, Noz, I just think it would have been a diff. It could be so different. He was playing so brilliantly. And that's exactly. It. I think. Uh, I think. But I mean, it, it's difficult because because sometimes it's marginal gains with players coming back. But 
uh, the players that they've got missing and how important they were. They'd, they'd absolutely, they'd absolutely be better off um, up the league. And 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 considering it's so early in in Postecoglou's uh, tenor, tenor, that's that's amazing. And 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 the fact he's playing this day in football, and 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 it's interesting that like um, the point that Paul made about sort of the way that they uh, probe and and even like have the bravery on the ball. And, and and that thing about taking risks. The thing is, the United team take risks as well. But it's blind risks. The amount of blind balls that this United team um, sort of play, and 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 it's it's around the corner, and it's into space, and it's just assuming or hoping that somebody will be there. It's not controlled, and there's no order. Whereas Spurs do show order. And 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 this whole thing about Ten Hag talking about the injuries. It's funny how the. I mean, it's true, but it's funny how the tune changes when things are going well. Managers in general are quite bullish and sort of say. I'm not going to use injury as an excuse. But then as soon as they're going badly, they do. But I think Spurs are kind of the flip side of United at the moment where you look at Spurs and you kind of think because they're managed so well, because they know exactly what they're doing, players can be out injured or suspended or whatever. And the players that come in still perform well like they did on the weekend because they know exactly what they're doing. And that absence of players does not make the difference it should. But at United... There's all this talk about Casemiro's coming back, and you don't feel as if that's going to improve things because because United were poor when those team, those players were in the team before they were out. So <laughs> yeah. so so it's it's kind of there's not even an optimism there because you kind of think well they kind of play the same kind of clunky, disorganized, dislocated way when those players were in the team. So I, I think it's it's hard to um, move away from the thought. And again, like like it's not as it's not as if I'm saying. Uh, United should get rid of, get rid of Ten Hag at this stage, but it's that thing of, of it comes down to the manager. It comes down to the players knowing what they should be doing, and and it's not a case of Spurs have 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 just got these really receptive, receptive intelligent players, and 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 United haven't. It's it's about how they're organised. I think Nuz is right as well because he mentions those players for United who had to come back in, and on paper those are like big names as such. Talking about Casemiro's, you know, you're looking at say short left back who. I'm sure for as much as people don't like Shaw, they'd likely prefer him to Wan-Bissaka at left-back. But from the Spurs side of things, the players who are missing for them are ones who we've seen have really good seasons to this point. When you're looking at Saar, looking at Basuma, looking at Madison, looking at Son, so you can see that their ceiling will be up. But to go back to the original question, Spurs being clear at the top if you had the older players, well, surely every team up near the top could say exactly <laughs> the same thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah you know, this, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. this is, I guess, this how it goes. Do you know what? I'm so guilty. You know, we always say fans' expectations change so quickly. And Paul, you're absolutely right to watch that Spurs game like that. Because I've watched a lot of Spurs. I'm now used to this is how Spurs play. Whereas if a year ago I'd watch Spurs, you'd tell me in, in a year, Spurs will be dominating the ball, playing little triangles. I'd have I'd have basically fainted, especially with you know the manager that we had. So I am as guilty as all other football fans. Um, quickly on on Timo Werner, Rob says, was that shot by Timo Werner in the twenty first minute? Just him exorcising the banter out of himself for the rest of the season. Um, I'm convinced he's going to score buckets, as I was at Chelsea. Paul, what did you make of this uh, performance? Assist assist on debut, right? That's what that's mm-hmm. his that's his. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good start, um, especially in a game like that. I did, I you know again, I think that. There's, you talk about, there's so much stuff we don't know about all of football. And I think pressure and expectations is, is a big part of that. And, and him coming in here, the expectations are going to be different from the, when the time he played at Chelsea. You know, he was supposed to be the man who led, led the line. Now he's emergency cover. He's not even going to be playing centrally, you know, provided Richarlison stays fit. So 
I think the upside's quite big on this deal. And I thought he played well because I thought he looked intelligent, mobile and knitted in with the rest of the team. Yeah, I mean, that, that finish wasn't great. I think he had another effort as well that wasn't superlative. But, you know, if you're not buying him for that or getting him into the team for that, which I'd imagine they're not, then, yeah, I, I think he looks like he could, he, could, he could slot right in and do a job. Finally, for part one, uh, Barca Jim saying, uh, can uh, Noz really call himself a true United fan? As I know for a fact, he doesn't possess any game-specific NFTs. This is in relation, Noz, to Manchester United tweeting, Old Trafford, we're back. Make sure you're prepared for our first home game of 2024, the ultimate match day checklist, match day programme, game-specific NFTs, buy match day shirt, make United predictions. Um, it is the match day essentials, isn't it, Noz? I won't leave home without my Cambridge United-specific NFTs. I believe the tweet was deleted. Not the most embarrassing thing. We'll get onto Chelsea's publicity stunt in a bit, but still, you just—I mean, what do you do? Jim's right. It's, it, it, the most—the most embarrassing thing is where you go to a game and you've got you, you sort of pack your NFT, but it's not—it's not the game-specific one. <laughs> it's like it's, 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 the, it, it's, it's, it's the last game's NFT that you've got, and then and then and then you got you've got this embarrassing thing where you've got like people like. You've you've got like um, people selling half and half NFTs uh, outside the outside the map. Like I, I, just, I just think it's, it's a mess of my field, but yeah, I, I never I never leave home without mine. <laughs> All right, that'll do for part one. Part two, uh, we'll begin at Stamford Bridge. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. So three wins on the spin for Chelsea. They beat Fulham one uh, nil. I mean, the staggering thing for me. Nadim about this game was that Fulham didn't equalise. I was just sitting there waiting for them to score. And actually, as the game went on, the later it got, I wasn't like, well, even when there was like, there's a minute more of injury time had been played, I was like, this is when they're going to score. It wasn't like at any time I thought Chelsea would win until probably about five minutes after full time. So is this where we give like, Chelsea a bit of credit for finding a way. Is this a spin? Can we do? Can, can we do a positive can, spins? You can do whatever up? you like. You could. You could do whatever could we, you like. Could we spin it and say Fulham like they're good, but to a point? Like which which narrative should we roll with? Do you reckon which one which one's more progressive? Do you get more Chelsea fans or Fulham fans in here? Let me make a decision now. You you can speak. You have to speak your truth, Nadem. Well, this to be fair, your, as this a, is your life and your as journey. A, as a former Q, QPR player, it should have been a draw. But anyway. Okay. Um, it's a shame for Fulham because I saw them in midweek as well um, against Liverpool and there were parts where they looked really good but they came away with nothing because they were getting they got worse as the game progressed and obviously Liverpool got better and then in this game here I fancied them to get something as well but we're in a position where Chelsea you know sometimes they go through good spells they're playing well but then they'll always offer opportunities to the opposition and it seems like for now they're kind of getting away with it in the league I think that's three wins in a row and that's them climbing the table that's them what is it Three points behind six, the thing that you never thought we'd see when we're talking about Chelsea in 2023-24. They're doing it somehow. And, you know, that will be an important win for them. Yeah, but they're getting away with it in ninth. I mean, that isn't where Chelsea should be getting away well, with it. You, well, it's in ninth for now. That's the point, Max. It's ninth yeah. for now. Oh, you know, they are climbing the table. And whether it's through gorgeous football or whether it's people criticising them for not having a style of play, wasting money, people being injured all the time, blah, blah, blah. Like... The winning sort of like feeling does exist. And I think even if you walk off a field and feel like you've gotten away with it, you still have a nicer training week. And in fairness, they've got the they've got the break now as well, haven't they? They're going somewhere warm with another three points in their back pocket and they're looking up the table thinking, I wonder if we can catch them. So it's not a perfect game, not a perfect performance, but it's a win nonetheless. And given the fact that, say, for the last 18 months, basically, we've seen them at times play well and lose, 
I think Pochettino will just take it, especially as a reaction to, you know, going up to the northeast to play Middlesbrough just to let Middlesbrough take a 1-0 lead. So, yeah, I, I'm not going to be too down on Chelsea as such, but they obviously still have some more work to do. I think you're right. Um, what, Cole Palmer is the sort of story for Chelsea at the moment, Paul. Do you... It's probably too far to suggest he's carrying them, but he's such a lovely footballer, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's he's beautiful to watch just because he does the unexpected, you know? Um, he is, he's brave, he's uh, technically gifted and he's willing to do things on a pitch that excite the crowd, I think primarily, but also at this moment in time are, are, are creating creating big chances or at least opening up the pitch to give the opportunity to create chances. I, th- I think if you read too much social media, you can definitely get a counter narrative on, on Palmer, which is that off the ball, there's not so much of a contribution at this point in time. And that, that you know, they gave up, what was it, 14 shots um, against against Fulham. That is obviously an issue um, for a, a broad issue for the, for the team that they, 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 they give up too many uh, attacking opportunities to their opponents. And I thought what was quite interesting in terms of if we talk about narratives is that actually Conor Gallagher is a very technically uh, gifted footballer um, who can do a lot of things on the ball that other people can't. But because he is uh, somebody who's determined to make it at Chelsea and has sort of had to reinvent himself as a shuttler, somebody who gets in there and just disrupts and does all the hard yards in order just to justify placing the team, which to my mind, he could have on his own technical abilities anyway. Um, I, I thought it was his his performance um, against Fulham was perhaps the key one for me because he was the one who was actually doing the stuff off the ball. Um, he was involved in the, in the better passing movements. He also had that incredible outside of the foot. Is that a Trevella? That strike when you hit it like that and it came off the post? I think that's a Trevella. Not necessarily on this podcast, but I think the young people call it Trevella, yeah. Uh, sort of a, a charisma, a charisma effort. Yeah, it was really nice. Do you think, do you think, no, I was going to say, no, do you think he's running around more than Caicedo and Enzo and looking behind him going, what the, you cost what, 200 million quid or 180 million quid. What are you doing? Yeah, it is. But, but I mean, madder than that is the fact that there's been talk about him perhaps leaving and and maybe going to Spurs, and you kind of think, like, what? In, who in the right mind would think that that's a good idea? Just because, like, he he is he's so integral to this team, and 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 he's the kind of player who who sets an example for for, for those bigger stars. Um, uh, but yeah, I think uh, I think he did really well, and I think uh, again, along with uh, like, uh, I hate to be uh, another plaudit for Palmer, but. Um, he just looks class. He, he he looks absolute class, and and those two together are, are a big reason why Chelsea look like they are at least playing slightly better than they were. I think I think the worst thing for me about Palmer is is along with um, Bowden, it it just shows how how good uh, the players um, coming through City are in terms of that that almost what what would what used to be felt, um, thought of as like uh, the technique that continental players had so like both of them in different ways feel very very continental and like like Cole Palmer, Palmer almost feels like Kaka in the way he moves and plays and the fact that he's from I think Withenshaw and uh, Foden's from Stockport um, it's kind of there's almost like a begrudging uh, admiration that uh, these local lads are being coached uh, to, to play in a way that 
we used to rave about foreign players like in the 90s. So actually, that Kaka comparison is really interesting. I, I, he does move a bit like that, doesn't he? A, a good touch for a big man. I mean, but that, I mean, that, should, that should be reserved for target men and not for Kaka, <laughs> really, shouldn't it? But anyway, um, Christopher Nkuku wasn't on the pitch. Poch says, we're disappointed and a little bit worried because we want him involved again as soon as possible. It's complicated with Christopher. It's now between eight and 10 days since he could train. I mean, it sort of feels like he's saying... He thinks he should be training. I mean, maybe lost in translation. I'm not sure. There were seven people dressed as spies in the press box, I think, or sort of certainly near the dugouts, uh, who stood up during the first half to read a book. Later on, were brushing their teeth. Pochettino says uh, they were promoting the upcoming film Argyle, made by Matthew Vaughan, who is a Chelsea fan. Pochettino said, for the fans, I think it's nice to see the promotion of the film. And I think it looks very, very good. They've invited me for the premiere. Uh, Lots of outlets claim that Todd Bowley was somehow involved. Um, in a production company associated with the film, but apparently that is not true. But still, Paul, if you're a Chelsea fan, you just don't want this sort of nonsense. I mean, obviously it doesn't matter, but like maybe if you're doing really well, but even then, I don't know. Or should I just be like, look, it's all entertainment. Some people like film, some people like football, some people like both. Most people like both, I imagine. I, th- I wonder whether there's a little twist on it that makes it even worse. So it's... It's not just a kind of yeah. 360 yeah. degree surround entertainment experience, but it's also referencing that fan who brushed his teeth in 2009. Yeah. Is that that? So it's like, hey guys, we're yeah. diving into Chelsea legend here for you guys. We know you're going to love it and uh, yeah. get your get your know, specific was, NFT after terrible. the match. Um, Bernie won, Luton won. A total heartbreak for your good friend, your best friend, Vincent Company. A uh, big story is the end of the game where. Um, it was Zadabeo, wasn't it, who thrust his backside towards James Trafford. And company said, first, I expect the referee to see it. It was that obvious. None of the Luton players have celebrated. Nobody. The first look from the striker, which is normal, nothing against him. He's doing his job. But the first look of the striker is towards Trafford. After this, it's towards the referee to see if he got away with it. Luckily, we've got VAR. We think, OK, that's going to sort it. Then it rolls, it rolls, it rolls. Lack of decision. And that's it. Burnley are 1-1. It's a foul, isn't it, Nadam? I mean, I was certain it was and expecting a full Howard Webb, you know, giant apology letter until some people started saying it isn't a foul. And now I'm I'm lacking the conviction to be certain it's a foul. So um, have you guys ever had David James on here? We have not. Uh, David James would be perfect for this. Okay. Like he's he suits this to the ground. And I'm, I'm, I speak to David quite a lot through one of the groups that I'm in and he's a big like laws of the game rules freak type person right. always wants to explain everything throw loads of stats at it and he the former goalkeeper England goalkeeper we should add said it was not a foul right and he and he said the reason it's not a foul is because the foul comes when a goalkeeper is attempting to catch the ball and then they are fouled right whereas he said with the Trafford incident he's blocked and then he throws his arms in the air to attempt to catch it so as a consequence, he said that isn't a foul. And in the group that we're in, basically everyone was like biting his head off. But I thought, well, if a member of the goalkeepers' union, although you know his, his membership card is a bit is a bit dusty now because he's so um, is saying that, then that was felt like a learning yeah okay point for me. So yeah, from what I'm hearing, that isn't a foul. But then we then asked the question, well, why have so many decisions been given in the past? And I think it's that nuance that David was trying to say whereby if a goalkeeper's coming to claim it and their arms are in the air, for example, and then they get nudged, then I think that gets given as a free kick. But if not, 
then I guess it's just a case of the goalkeeper being an open play. But I think as, as um, Vincent Company said, it was a bit awkward when everyone's looking at the ref like, okay, he's going to he's gonna disallow this. Then you go to video, okay, they're going to disallow it. But then I suppose if this is it now, maybe this is the precedent for us to either understand or for them to sort of make these sort of decisions more often going forward. I can't speak for the listeners, but all I want to know is who else is in this group Nadem, that's the only that's ah uh, you just said it's why it's a wild group in there it's uh, a wild group they talk about xg and all sorts in the middle of the night is it all ex-footballers um mostly ex-footballers yes right, mostly okay. if an older generation yes mostly older generation can we all have a get jay bothroyd no <laughs> no <laughs> no really not jay bothroyd no not jay bothroyd michael no. ricketts Michael Ricketts. No, no. This, to be fair, this no. one is more specific to people who've played for Man City. That's what I'd say. Okay. Yeah. Oh, there are a few. Good. Terry Feeling. Terry Feeling's yeah. not made this one, no. Not made this group. <laughs> Stephen Ireland. Stephen Ireland's not in this one, no. He does not like Uwe Rosler. Is Uwe Rosler in this? No, but a couple of his teammates are in this group chat. Yes. Okay. Wow. Okay. Alan Kernahan. No, surprisingly, Kerner hasn't made this group. No, he has not. He has not. Should we just spend the rest of the, the rest of the podcast yeah. just shouting out City players? <laughs> Gary Flickcroft. Who's the biggest? Who's yeah? Who's the biggest gun in this one? Edin Dzeko. The biggest? Um, no, mm. Edin's still kind of playing, so he can't. He couldn't possibly spend oh, he's time. Not chance was, no, no, okay, not this fine, one. Fine. Listen, I'll, I'll give you the info all in due time. Next time I'm, I'm on, I'll tell you all about okay. it. Mm. Okay. Well, surely we get every t- every time you're on, we'll have one guest until we get one player mm-hmm. who's in it. Noz, you had your hand raised before I started playing a ridiculous guessing game. Yeah, um, I, I, I mean, I'd just say about David James, like, you're right, like, obviously it's good to get a perspective from a from a goalkeeper, but, like, we've got to remember that he did get murked by Rio, by Rio Ferdinand, so that, <laughs> you've got to question his, 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 his judgment. And, 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 and also, I, I, wonder, I wonder whether we should have, like, in the rules of the game, whether we should have a, a whole set of rules about Arse use, like, is, yeah. is, right is, 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 is he in full control of his arse? Is that a dangerous arse? Is that a reckless arse? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's the least reckless part of the body, you'd suggest, well, wouldn't it? It's the sort of softest. Well, <laughs> I beg to differ. I mean, it depends on what circumstances, of course, but in a, in a footballing context, I think of all the parts of the body that you could hit somebody with, I mean, this is a dangerous path to go down, but I think it would cause the least. No, know. no, no. Like I said, have you seen John McGinn play? Like people actually yeah. say that's his big. That's well, I was going to say he's the biggest asset, but that's too obvious now, isn't it? <laughs> this is. But yeah, sorry, Max. Please yeah. take over. No, it's okay. I, was, I used to. I was playing five aside um, in Sydney with uh, uh, Craig Foster, um, who obviously played former Socceroo, and he's very good mates with uh, a guy called Adam Goods. He's like the most famous AFL player of all time. He's also a very good footballer, and he had he would thrust his posterior towards you and it was like well there's no way i can get anywhere near this but he had he had obviously <laughs> most players with a large backside also have you know thighs to match don't they so all of that means yeah you're absolutely right so um, anyway uh let's uh let's go to goodison everton nil villa nil um what did you make of this one paul well i think it's sort of i think it's i think it's a good result for everton really um if you look at the perspective from the beginning of the season um, because they defended very well. They, they looked like they got that most challenging aspect of the team. You know, after having three defeats on the bounce, it, there, were, there were questions again about about where Everton were, and I think that sort of reset that. And, uh, you know, Villa were third in the league. That's, that's no bad point for Everton. I think for for Villa, yeah, and probably should have won as well. I think that 
Donovan Calvert Lewin chance was 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 go, was pretty golden. For Villa, you know, their away form continues to be the the poor relation of the home form, and that's why I think that you know they're not in the title race, and and the and the, the 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 top four battle will be will be a long one. I you know, no argument. That doesn't change the fact that Emery's doing amazing things and and that the, the team's moved on, um, and you know. But I, I, th- I think um, that showed a little bit of the limitations of where Villa are right now. Um, Brian says, "Can we have a moment to acknowledge Seamus Coleman, please? Everton's record appearance holder, consistently one of the best right backs in the Premier League in his prime, all round good lad. His experience on and off the pitch remains vital to Everton. Pres- presumably not in a WhatsApp group with Seamus Naylor, but I, I don't know. But that notwithstanding." From, especially for what he cost. Um, what an amazing career he has had. Yeah, so was it £60,000 transfer fee? That's um, can't even pay for a player per week for that these days. But uh, it's, a, it's a great sign for them. I remember when he first first arrived and there's this guy's come over from Ireland and said, oh, will he be good? Will he be bad? And then very quickly, you know, he was like a key part of who Everton were. And even though we see Everton these days like being lower down, we all remember them being really good as well. And he was a big part of that. And for him to take that record, like to be at a club for 15 years is, that's amazing. You know, most people, if you get five, like that's an incredible stretch. But for him to be there that long, for him to be the number one, for him to go past, you know, a club legend like Tim Howard, who I think was on three, five, four. And best of all, he's not done yet. And even though we don't see the the absolute best of him, it's still good to see him healthy, fit, being out there and representing his team because he does see for me, he does signify who Everton are as a football club because whenever you think, whenever I think about them anyway, I think of him and others playing within that side. It's a huge credit. 355 Premier League games so far for them, for somebody, as I say, who costs next to nothing. Amazing achievement. It was a pleasure playing playing against him, although he tended to beat me, especially at Goodison. It was a pleasure and it's good to see old people out there still making an impact. For those of you who liked football before 1992, he is 15th on the list of all-time appearances, if I've added it up properly. Neville Southall, way out, big niff, greatest goalkeeper of all time. 751 appearances. Uh, Brian Labone, 5-3-4, and Dave Watson, 5-2-8. David Ornstein reporting in The Athletic last night saying Everton and Nottingham Forest are expecting to be referred to an independent commission over breaches of the Premier League's profitability and sustainability regulations. Clubs will learn on Monday today whether they've fallen foul of the league's financial rules under new guidelines introduced to ensure any basic breaches are dealt with in time for punishments to be levied in the same season as a charge is brought. Under the guidelines, both clubs are now at risk of a fine or a points deduction with formal notification of any charges set to come on Monday. Both clubs have prepared mitigation and are expected to robustly argue their case. We will talk about that in more detail. I'm sure a lot of people listening uh, will say Manchester City have a lot of charges that may not be re- resolved this season. Nas, your hand is raised. Yeah, I, ju- I just wanted to um, quickly go back to the game before we move on. Um, th- one of the things, I mean, first of all, I, I was, I, was I, I just loved the game because it was so spicy. Like for, for a game that I just thought there's no uh, obvious rivalry, rivalry between Villa and Everton, there was loads of little arguments and fights going on in the game, which, which was great to see. But also um, I was fascinated by that offside situation where it looked as if, Villa had decided to use uh, Dan Juma as some sort of like some 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 sort of meat puppet that they were just going to stick <laughs> sort of stick on the floor. So, so, so that means that they're on side. And I just wondered whether 
is is that is that an innovation in shithousery or, or does that go on? Has that been has that happened before where where somebody's been sort of manipulated physically to to make your team onside? Wasn't Salah pushed offside recently? Was it against Burnley or something? Like mm. he was sort of because uh, he was he was in the keeper's yeah. eye line, but he'd been shoved, and so when you're still offside, but like you've been fouled. I'd, yes, no. It's a, it's a, it's a very good question. It doesn't seem to arise that much, but I do like the idea of defenders just picking up their nearest attacker and hurling them into an offside position, but it not being a free. <laughs> or, I mean, I guess what you could do is you could use your backside because we've established that is not necessarily mm. a foul. So if, if that was John McGinn, it's definitely yeah, onside. By the way, like yeah. Danjuma would just be pressed against the post. <laughs> Uh, anyway, that'll do for, for part two. Before we end it, we just wanted to send our best wishes to the friends and family of Ian Perslow, the 71-year-old uh, lifelong Bolton Wanderers fan who died watching their home game with Cheltenham. Uh, the game was abandoned after he was taken ill. The club said uh, Ian, who uh, lives in Oldham, was at the game supporting the Whites with his son Stuart. The club chaplain remained with family members late in the day. The club will continue to offer the family all the support they can as well as looking to offer support to anyone else impacted by this distressing incident. The thoughts of everyone connected to Bolton Wanderers are with Ian's family and loved one at this incredibly sad time. Ian will be remembered at Wanderers FA Cup third round replay at home to Luton Town on Tuesday night. We'll be back in a second. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Reading's game with Port Vale was abandoned after a number of uh, Reading fans peacefully protested on the pitch against the current ownership. Uh, we'll cover the story in detail. Um, we're speaking to someone from the fan-led group Cell Before We Die, uh, Die DAI, with reference to the owner Die Young. Um, we've had lots of questions about it. I just wanted to read this email from Tom, which is quite w- long but worth reading, and we'll get to it in more detail on Thursday. He says, hi, I'm a long-time listener, massive fan of the pod. I just want to make a plea about covering the plight of Reading FC, which this week has accelerated like never before. I first started going when I was six years old. I'm now 30. I've watched the club through its glory years, two promotions to the Premier League, three FA Cup quarterfinals, even a semi-final just eight years ago, where we were just a goalkeeping error away from a first major final in our 125-year history. To many fans listening to the pod, the idea that these modest achievements would qualify as glory years may seem incomprehensible, but for a club of Reading size, those years still mean everything to the fan base. Now to see all those years of growth count for nothing with the rapid asset stripping of the club, including the best youth players and senior players, and even our youth academy, I believe the only Cat 1 academy below the championship and a source of pride for fans, being systematically destroyed by an absent owner is gut-wrenching for fans of clubs like Reading, of which Max is one in Cambridge. All we want from football is to celebrate three points on the weekend more often than not and socialise with family and friends. If I lose this football club, I lose quality time with my dad, I lose friends. And I lose the quiet games I sometimes spend alone when all I want to do is take a break from my busy working life, hop on the train to Reading from London and forget about everything for 90 minutes. Our owner, if you can call him that, Dai Yong, and his number two, Dai Pang, are callously ripping out the heart of this team, despite being wealthier than you can ever imagine. I'm writing this on the way to Port Vale at home, where there could be huge fan action. Our story needs highlighting now more than ever by fantastic outlets such as yourselves. I love football and the Premier League too, but mainstream football all pales into comparison to Reading FC and other clubs like us at this point in time. If not the worst part of this ideal is a loss in interest in the wider football game. It feels like Dai Yong isn't just taking this club away from me and my fellow fans, but the entire sport too, for which I will never forgive. As I said, I'd be appreciative if you read this out. The words aren't just relative to me nor Reading fans, but football fans everywhere. It's high time action was taken in the wider game too to address football's wider ownership problems. Thanks so much for reading that. That's from Tom. Um, uh, Dae Young Pang the club CEO said very tough decisions unfortunately have had to be made 
um, uh, Pang told fans Dai Yong is actively working to secure the sale of the club. Fans refused to leave. They went on the pitch in the 16th minute. Um, Reading's manager, Ruben Sellers, hung around for a long time. Um, and uh, Port Vale fans were very uh, understanding as well. As I said, we'll talk about it on Thursday. Jim says, one for Nadem. If you were playing for Forest Green, how would you react to Troy Deeney's post-match comments at the weekend, assuming you're not a fan of that kind of chat? Have you played with any players who would respond positively to it? Uh, he said, there are, quote, too many babies from top to bottom. <laughs> First half was boring. I'd rather watch frigging Antiques Roadshow than that. No offence to anyone who likes Antiques Roadshow. I'm not sure anyone has put the word frigging before Antiques Roadshow before. But anyway, that kind of sort of throwing under the bus chat, Nadem, your thoughts? Mm, it's... Um... It's it's very much being placed under the bus, bus going forward and backwards and forwards again. Um, Troy is and has been very outspoken, hasn't he? So it's interesting that now he's having to manage a group of people. And if he believes that this is the best way to um, to get the best out of them, then then good luck. But I would say personally, being run over several times by the bus, being driven by the manager, isn't something that I would enjoy that much. And for Forest Green and other teams down there. It's not, not as if they can have total player turnover as, as well, is it? So, But maybe this is all part of his master plan to get Forest Green up to the Premier League, win the Premier League, and then win the Champions League in the next 10 years. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. but if, if, if a manager throws a player under the bus in public, what's the dressing room reaction? To? I can't see how a dressing room would react well to that. But, yeah, but you know, managers like Jose and Conte have had success. Yeah, but not, not necessarily like this. I mean, in terms of like a, just an attack, because like he's... Troy's relatively new there anyway, isn't he? And yeah. we'll see what Troy thinks if he'll say stuff like this again going forward. Because one thing that he's probably seen himself firsthand is that if the manager loses the players, the manager will likely lose their job. So now he's in a position where as manager, are the players still on side with everything that you're saying? And he's saying a lot. And it's very entertaining. But I think functionally from a work standpoint, I wouldn't believe that's going to be uh, helping him anytime soon get some results. Yeah, some really weird appointments since... Rob Edwards, who was clearly brilliant at Forest Green, you know, Duncan Ferguson was a strange appointment. Troy Dean, you know, good to get opportunities, but still, you know, a lack of experience seems to be showing. Uh, Luke says, how much would the panellists have to be paid to be fed meat by Salt Bay? Ash says, is it possible to still give everything for a manager once you've seen them be fed like Arteta has this week? Jonathan, (laughs) would Big Ange be seen dead at Salt Bay's restaurant? Um, uh, Noz, I don't know if you've seen the video of Arteta being fed by Salt Bay and then sort of rubbed slightly on the shoulder. It made me sick. There's There's something visceral about about a man feeding someone like like they're a baby bird it's just it's it do you know that thing that footballers like often say is that i'd rather i'd rather sort of uh i'd rather i'd rather a player go in two-footed rather than spit at me or something like i would rather yeah. salt bait punch me in the face than feed <laughs> me in that in that weirdly erotic way it's it's unnecessary it's bringing the game into disrepute and uh, and 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 I, I reckon questions need to be asked about Arteta, to be honest, because uh, I just think his position is untenable now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I I I have a, obviously I'm I'm I, people would accuse me of being biased, but it feels poor worse than an FFP breach to me. No, no way, man! You've got to think about the community and the role that football plays in the game at large. Oh, hang on a minute, he did get fed by Salt Bay. I don't. I mean, I just don't. I don't get what the attraction is. He looks like a Johnny Depp impersonator. That kind of like meat-based, I mean, oh, I just feel like, oh, it's like, 
it's like a Roman orgy or something. And I don't know why any kind of like somebody's <laughs> yeah. clearly doing calorie denying on a daily basis would want to go there in the first place. I don't know. But yeah, it's not for me. Thank you very much. I mean, in many ways, I guess Salt Bay is he's sort of like Robin Hood. At least he must have been at the start, Nadam. Like he was, well, he was stealing from the rich. He's not necessarily giving it to the poor, I guess. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but like, I agree. I just can't understand. Like, like credit to him for managing to turn, to become presumably incredibly wealthy by by doing something, as as Paul says, it is like a Roman orgy. Yeah, it's sort of, it's so grotesque. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's somewhat of a phenomenon. I'm just, I was just watching the video then and it is hilarious, to be honest. But like Salt Bay and lots of other places, like it's the place to be, place to be seen. And then the bill comes and everyone realizes it's overpriced. <laughs> but until you do it for the first time, you don't really, I guess you don't really know. But when you're sitting down in the chair and then you see the prices, like, well, we can't really get up and deal with this now. And Arteta, like that video is hilarious. Like when the little kid comes over, unless it's Arteta's kid putting the salt on the steak. I think it might be. It? it might be. I don't know. I don't know. But like. Listen, some things are better done. If you're going to do it, do it without a camera being there. Because then at least you can pretend mm. it never happened. But like it's out there. Yeah. And when, like, to just picture it, the next time Arsenal lose, should Arsenal lose again this season, who's going to be the manager just like sticking a steak in his mouth or something? You know, this is mm. it. He set himself up. It's nightmare fuel. But. I hope he enjoyed his steak. I'm sure it was expensive, and I hope he enjoyed his break. I mean, I mean, but 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 the, but the thing is, nothing, nothing can taste that good. Nothing. You you would not go through any any sort of culinary sort of like uh, magic of of that bite for someone to do to sort of do that. To. In in fact, I think we've stumbled upon like we're talking about Troidini. Maybe the punishment for his comments is <laughs> for Salt Bay to do it, but. It's got to, because it's forest green. It's got to be a bit a sliver of like Tofu, vegan, yeah. like corn <laughs> dipped in, dipped into his mouth. Uh, and and I I, 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 I would I would pay good money to see Troy Deeney and how he reacts <laughs> to, to any of that nonsense. It's uh, basically with with this uh, Arteta thing. If it was good, I'm sure Arsenal fans would be sharing it. But the fact that everyone else is sharing it suggests it's probably like mm. a bit of an embarrassment for your for your whole camp. But you know, it's this is where we're at. Honestly, like a steak is. Like you can get a decent fillet steak for what a tenner, seven quid. <laughs> Cook it at home, you know. Like, like, like. No. I don't. I don't. Like how dramatically you pour the salt on it. It's just a steak. Yeah, but have you ever been fed steak by on a saber by Salt Bay in Dubai? No. If the answer is no, no, no you've not lived. Much. You've not lived. Right. <laughs> Seems very unlikely that I will. Anyway, that'll do for today. Uh, just quickly, I just wanted to know, like, because everyone in this. Um, Podcast today is, is so fashionable. Evidently, what like what did you think of uh, of Trent Alexander Arnold's um, get up? Like the whole sort of like Max and Paddy sort of uh, uh, bouncer gear that he's wearing on the on the Gucci uh, Gucci show. He's unlikely. He's definitely not paid for it. He's been paid to wear it. So as a consequence, I would wear a clown costume. I couldn't care less. You know, more power to him for being given the opportunity to look ridiculous for money. Oh, I haven't seen it. I need to see it. Oh, it's 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 amazing. Like there's there's loads of like uh, Max and Paddy gags about it, and uh, and and loads of uh, loads of references to Tommy Dick Fingers. So yeah, it's it's worth seeing. I, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, everyone's concentrating on the uh, on the sort of top half, which is like looks looks like every bouncer everywhere. But he's wearing flares, so I wonder where the flares are coming back in. <laughs> yes, he looks just like Paddy McGuinness, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, that's really good. 
It's a very high, so it's a sort of leather jacket that sort of stops, I would say, just a bit too short. It's just like you've bought a medium when you are a large, right? And, and what he can't do is put his hands up above his head because then it'll ride right up and be like a crop top. Oh, that is really, really... And he's wearing these, yeah, really enormous trousers. Are, are they flares or are they just massive trousers? I don't, I'm not really sure. Max and Paddy's a great shout though. It's a fantastic yeah. shout. Yeah, it's, it's so good. I, um, um, occasionally I watch, you know, um, the Tottenham players arrive at training and they get asked some stupid question they don't want to be asked and they all walk in and like Hoiberg is always wearing just very sensible clothes and then most of the young players are looking ridiculous but it's almost like Brian Hill is always just dressed as a Zorb like it's just sort of like enormous like just so many sort of rolls in <laughs> it's all peeled out of his clothes uh, anyway that will do for today it was worth bringing up Noz uh, thank you so much Paul no thank you uh, thanks Noz thanks thank you Nadem pleasure as always Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove our executive producer is Dan Daniel Stevens. This is The Guardian.